Well, good morning, River Tree. It is a real joy to be with you this morning. Um, and it's a joy to have Zach on stage with me. Uh, Zach is our new grow pastor here at River Tree. And I've had the privilege of knowing Zach for, I guess, the last decade. decade yeah. yeah, the last 10 years. And uh, we wanted to introduce Zach to you. You'll hopefully uh, get an email from him. You'll see a video that he made. But Zach, I want to give you a chance to just introduce yourself. Tell us a little about uh, your family and just you coming to Huntsville. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. In a lot of ways, coming to Huntsville is coming home. I uh, am a Huntsville native, and uh, so is my wife, actually. She went to Bob Jones, uh, Morgan. We have two kids, uh, Ellis, who's three, and then Rose, who in a week is going to be four months old. So she's a lot of fun. And uh, we're very excited to be here. This is a unique time, of course, in the life of this church. But I want to let you guys know, Morgan and I have already in very tangible ways felt the love of River Tree and are so grateful to be here to the Lord and just really excited to get to work and excited to meet everybody. Obviously, this is a weird time, so it's going to be a couple months maybe. Who knows? Uh, but uh, you will see, especially life group leaders and directors, uh, hopefully you and I will connect very soon. I know I've made some contact already with people and uh, really looking forward to getting to know you all. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, so I'd love for you to reach out to Zach. I think his email is Zach at MyRiverTree.org. That's with an H, right? Yes, with an H. (laughs) Zach with an H. So send him an email, introduce yourself. Uh, Zach, I am thrilled uh, to see Jesus in your life. And one of our our purposes at RiverTree is to help one another know Jesus by sharing the gospel in our lives. And one of the things I love about Zach is that I've been able to share a lot of life with him. So I'm excited he's here. Can't wait for you to actually meet him and him to buy you coffee. And uh, I want to pray for you. And I know transitioning to a new city in the middle of a global pandemic, it's probably not something. It's been weird to say the least. Yeah, you expect it. I'd love to pray for you. And then uh, we'll dive into the text. So let's pray. So Jesus, um, thank you for Zach and Morgan and Ellis and Rose. And thank you for bringing them to Huntsville. And, and Lord, as much as we are excited at River Tree about uh, the ministry Zach will provide as the new grow pastor, Lord, we are also just excited for what you'll do in his heart and his family's life. And so, Lord, I pray um, that uh, the verse in Philippians that says you'll supply all our needs in Christ Jesus will be so rich and so real to the Carters as they move to this new city. Thank you for Zach. And I even pray for this time right now, Holy Spirit. I know uh, we are distant right now. Uh, whether we are on stage and distant or we are in our living rooms or houses all across this community, but God, you bind us together. So Lord, speak and speak clearly now. I I just submit this service to you. Uh, May my words be your words and my heart be your heart. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks, Zach. Yeah. So uh, once again, good morning, River Tree. And it's a real joy to be with you. And I know in a moment like this, you can feel lonely, right? You can feel alone. You can feel forgotten. You can feel distant. But I want you to know you're not alone. Like I prayed for each of you this morning, not by name, but just your situation. Whether you are in a moment where you're unsure what's next, right? Or you're in a moment where you receive bad news this week. Or you're in a moment where you are just missing your friends and your people. I want you to know that that we see you at River Tree, but not only that, more importantly, God sees you. And he loves you and he's pursuing you. And, And though we are distant, here's my prayer this morning for each of us. My prayer is this, that God would bind our hearts stronger than ever together. That God would do something below the surface, below the ground of our hearts, and he would transform us today. 
And, and I know this, that as you're kind of turning to Mark 15 and we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to look at verses 42 through 47. I know this, and this is a reality maybe we all know. The things have changed, right? Like the world is really different than it was even a month ago. Even a month ago, we didn't worry about standing in long lines in the grocery store. We didn't worry about uh, a stay-at-home order. We didn't worry about whether or not we would have a job the next week. But things have changed. I know even two weeks ago, as things started to slow down a little in my own life, I thought this might be the last chance to get my hair cut and my beard trimmed. Obviously, I took uh, the beard trimming into my own hands, and I trimmed it a little further than I meant to. But uh, in case you didn't recognize me, it is me, Stephen Dunn, okay? But the reality is this. I went to my barber shop on uh, Clinton Row. I, I got to the door, and it said they had already shut down. So I got back on the parkway, I I headed south towards my house, and all of a sudden I saw an 18-wheeler for a local grocery store get off the interstate. And I knew exactly what was in that 18-wheeler's truck. It had to be toilet paper. So in that moment, short on supply, I made the decision to follow that truck no matter where it went. If it was going all the way to Arab, I was going to follow it. So I followed it. I followed it for a really long time. I felt like an undercover agent in some ways. And I got to the grocery store that I went to. I waited while I unloaded. I walked around the back of the store and peeked in through, uh, this is weird saying this out loud, but I peeked in through kind of the inventory thing and I saw they had what I needed. So one of the young employees, he walked out, and I said, hey, did you get toilet paper on that truck? And he said these words. It was about 5 p.m. in the afternoon. He said, we did, but I'm not allowed to sell it. And it was that moment, I I really was confused. So I I said, well, what if I don't have any? I said, sorry, man, we got to wait till tomorrow. So I talked to the manager. I pleaded my case. I tried to use the gift of persuasion that I feel like I have at times. And sure enough, the manager said, sorry, you got to be like everybody else and come back tomorrow at 8 a.m. And I think it was at that moment for the first time in this whole thing that panic kind of set in my heart a little. There I was 20 feet away from toilet paper that I could not buy. And don't worry, we ended up getting some eventually. But the reality is this. The panic, maybe some anxiety, maybe some fear began to set in my heart. And I think it's probably something we all have in common over the last month. And maybe it wasn't toilet paper, but maybe it was something else in your life and in your heart. Maybe there was a moment that you realized that something really was different. It's something that we have in common. I think for many of us during the pandemic, that panic has set in. Maybe it was something you couldn't get over the grocery store. Maybe something that you were used to getting a month ago, but now it's harder to find. Maybe it was uh, something that you were wondering if your loved ones were going to be okay. Maybe it was that moment that your kids got sent home from school and you realized that not only were you going to be a stay-at-home parent and a work-at-home parent, but you were also going to homeschool your kids for the first time in your life. Maybe it was when a loved one or a friend or just someone you knew might be diagnosed with COVID-19. Maybe it was when you or your spouse was furloughed or you lost your job and you wondered how you were going to make it. But the reality is that this has touched every single one of us in some ways. And that's what I love about scripture. Because the passage we look at today, we see a time when anyone who had followed Jesus had a sense of panic. 
They had a sense of fear. They had a sense of anxiety. And yet the Bible points us to a greater hope. I find comfort in this reality that no matter what happens in our lives today, no matter what we may face tomorrow or next week or the week after, there are people throughout history who have felt the same things as we felt. That we're not alone in this struggle. In fact, God gives us a word for a time like this. So let's look at Mark 15, starting in verse 42. This is what the word says. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage. And he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse or the body to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud. And taking him down, he wrapped him in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So what we see in this passage is this. That Jesus has died a criminal's death. Mark spares no details in showing us the horror of the crucifixion on Good Friday. And as Jesus breathed his last breath, he declared it was finished. Letting everyone know that he had, he had completed the task that God the Father has set out for him. And it's in this moment that we're told that Joseph of Arimathea has witnessed the death of Jesus. And, and as he witnesses the death of Jesus, he steps in and he begins to step up. He doesn't want Jesus' body to rot on the cross. He doesn't want Jesus to be discarded like all the other bodies were in that day outside the city, just in a graveyard of other bodies. Joseph didn't want the body of Jesus to be disposed in a dump. So he longs for something different. He longs for a proper burial for his king. While others have fled the city and, and some of Jesus' closest followers were in hiding and the city had experienced absolute chaos. The cross began to do something in Joseph's heart that morning. And I believe it's the same thing that happens inside of our hearts when we reflect on the cross. I believe that when we, when we properly reflect and ponder the cross, there's something that begins to happen in anyone who is a follower of Jesus. Something that's birthed with inside of us. As Joseph saw the courage of Jesus on the cross, man, courage was birthed in Joseph's heart. As Joseph saw the dedication of Jesus to the Father's will on the cross, dedication was birthed in Joseph's heart. As Joseph looked at the sacrifice of Jesus, sacrifice was birthed in Joseph's heart. Because when he looked at the cross, he realized this, if my king is willing to be crucified on my behalf, there is really nothing I have to lose at all. So he goes to Pilate and he makes a formal request. And he pleads with Pilate saying, if there's anything you can do, will you allow me to have the body of Jesus so I can give Jesus a proper burial? I mean, there's nothing outside of the cross that can stir up this kind of dedication, this kind of courage, this kind of sacrifice in someone's heart. Because Joseph was willing to risk everything 
To go to Pilate and to out himself as a disciple of Jesus could have cost him his very life. And I would say no amount of worship, no amount of Christian books, no amount of teaching, no amount of just listening to good talks or good discussions about God can stir up in our hearts what pondering the crucifixion of Christ can do. So Joseph goes to Pilate and he requests the burial of Jesus. It could cost him everything. In fact, John would say in John 19.38 these words, that Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. But no longer was Joseph concerned with any of this. No longer was he concerned with his place among the religious elite in Jerusalem. No longer was he concerned with his place among his friends or his family. All he longed for was to properly bury Jesus. And, And there was nothing else he could do for Jesus. I mean, this was at least a glimmer of hope, right? Like he couldn't do anything for Jesus. Jesus had already died. He couldn't rescue him from the cross, but he could make sure that Jesus had a proper burial so that Jesus would be remembered for all of history. He wanted to make sure that Jesus wasn't just a footnote in some historian's writing. He wanted to make sure that there was a tomb and there was a place to remember Jesus, this great leader of a movement. And as he approaches Pilate, Pilate is shocked that Jesus has died so quickly. As Ross talked about last week, most people who were crucified, it took days for them to die. So he asked the centurion, was it true? And the centurion confirms that Jesus actually had died. So he grants Joseph his request. And Joseph takes care of the body of Jesus in an honorable way. He wraps him in the finest clothing. He puts him in most likely what was a family tomb. He rolls a rock in front of the tomb. And there lies the body of Jesus. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, see where he was laid. And all we can imagine in that moment is there was a sense of loss. Right? There was a sense that everything was lost. As far as we can tell, even Jesus' closest friends weren't there when Jesus was buried. Jesus was buried by one man and left alone in that tomb that day. And it's a picture that most of us can imagine today, unfortunately. Because how many times can we read a news article? How many times can we turn on the news? How many times can we just get on the internet and we hear these families saying goodbye to their loved ones? And they're not even able to be in the room. Many people are dying alone in this moment in history. And our hearts grieve for that. We think that's not the way it should be. And I would guess this, that the reality is this is something that we all understand. I would guess that the Saturday before Easter Sunday, all felt lost. Shattered dreams and hopelessness must have set in. Mary's soul had to be pierced. Peter's guilt had to be paralyzing in this moment. John, the beloved disciple, his heart had to be broken. And Mary Magdalene in despair. And friends, we we really aren't told much of what happened on the Saturday before Easter Sunday. In fact, only one gospel account tells us that that Pilate was concerned, or there were Jewish people concerned that someone was going to steal the body of Jesus. So he posted guards in front of the tomb to make sure no one could steal the body of Jesus. But I think it's safe to say this. 
If you look at the other accounts of where the disciples are found on Easter Sunday, it's easy to see where they were on Saturday. On Easter Sunday, when Mary comes to tell the disciples that she saw the Lord and that he was alive, the disciples were in a room with the door locked because they were afraid of the Jews. Fear, panic, anxiety had set in in their hearts. They thought if they could crucify Jesus, they could crucify us. So they did all they knew to do. They hid and they locked the door, hoping that the Romans and the religious leaders of the day would not come to them. And I think it's safe to say this is something that we've all had in common with them, right? We've all had those moments that feel like this Saturday. We all have those moments where where we live in the darkness of despair of Saturday. In fact, one of the quotes I read when I studied this this week was this. There are far more people today living in darkness and despair of Saturday than have ever lived in the drama of Good Friday or the victory of Easter. And the Saturday after the crucifixion, Jesus, his disciples, had to be exhausted. I mean, you think about the week they had. Palm Sunday had started as Jesus rode into the city and they thought the Messiah was going to claim his kingdom. And then the week unfolded like they could never imagine One of their best friends, Judas, betrays everyone. Guards arrest Jesus. They can't even stay awake when Jesus asks them to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter takes the sword out, cuts off a guy's ear, right? Like, that alone would have kind of brought me stress and anxiety. Yet Jesus says, that's not the way. And they had watched Jesus be put on trial. They had watched him be beat and mocked. They had all fled and they had all ran probably not much sleep had taken place in their lives. We can imagine in that moment, they were absolutely spent. The city had witnessed so much bloodshed. The pilgrims who had come in for the Passover had now deserted the city, and there was silence on Saturday. Jesus is dead. And I think the question that the text begs us to ask is what do you do with that truth? What do you do with the truth that Jesus is dead? If you're a follower of Jesus, at this moment in history, you bet your very life that he's the coming Messiah, that his kingdom was going to be different, that he was finally going to be the promised Messiah that Israel had so longed for. And remember, they they were looking for a military leader. They were looking for someone who was going to overthrow Rome. If you were a disciple of Jesus, you had left it all to follow him. You left your family. You had left your friends. You had left your livelihood. And you had seen amazing things, right? The blind could see. The lame could walk. The deaf could hear. The dead were raised. The teaching was the greatest teaching you had ever heard. Jesus taught as one with authority. And the love you experienced was like no other. Because you saw love walk among you. Yet you couldn't rescue Jesus. You couldn't save him. And I would say that this Saturday, after Good Friday and before Easter Sunday, would have been a strange day. It was the day between despair and joy. It was the day between confusion and clarity. It was the day between bad news and good news. 
And friends, it was the day between darkness and light. And outside of the details of the guards being posted because Pilate was scared someone was going to steal the body, we just don't know what was happening on Saturday. Honestly, this Saturday seems like a day that nothing happens. The city is silent. And friends, it seems that Jesus had failed. And if you read the gospel accounts, like it just seems impossible, right? There was no way that Jesus could have failed. If I was a follower of Jesus, I would have wondered, what have I missed? What did I get wrong? Like, was I not trained enough? Did Jesus not, was he not able to rally enough support? Was Jesus not able to convince the Romans that he could bring peace with them? Was his teaching not good enough? Was he not really who he said he was? I would have wondered in that moment on Saturday if I had missed something. I would have wondered in this moment what happened. I would have wondered in the nothingness of Saturday, in the emptiness of Saturday, in the hopelessness of Saturday, I would have thought to myself in that moment, what is going on? And I think, friends, the reality is we've all had a day like this, right? Um, Ordenberg puts it this way. He says, Saturday is the day your dream died. You wake up and you're still alive. You have to go on, but you don't know how. Worse, you don't know why. And being in ministry for the last 20 years, I've seen a lot of people experience Saturdays. I've seen families lose a child to cancer. And moms and dads just weep and wonder, how do we even move forward? I've seen friends diagnosed with a disease and not sure what to do next. I've seen marriages dissolve and hopelessness comes in place. I've seen moments when children walk away from the Lord and family relationships are broken. I've seen moments when betrayal happens and friendships are ruined. I've seen that moment when people lose their jobs and they just wonder, what do I do next? And it's in that moment when people feel hopeless and all is lost and they wonder, what do they do next? I feel like that's where a lot of us could be, even in the midst of this global pandemic, right? Right? Like the news is so fluid and changes so rapidly, we ask, are we in the middle of what feels like a Saturday? I mean, maybe in this moment you've been laid off. You've been furloughed or your spouse has been. My heart hurts for you. It goes out to you. Maybe you wonder, you're more scared about what's going to happen to the economy after this than you are of the disease itself. Maybe you legitimately have a fear of getting sick. And and like, listen, I get that. Like, sometimes I sneeze and I'm like, is this allergies, right? Or is this COVID-19? I don't know. But we all are living in this weird moment. Yet the reality is this, that wherever we are in the midst of this day, man, the gospel gives us hope. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3. He says, for I delivered to you of what's most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And look at this, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Listen to what Paul says, that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose on the third day. 
Paul is saying, this is what was passed down to me. This is the gospel to me. Like, it's not that Jesus died and he rose, but Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. The burial of Jesus is at the center of the gospel in Paul's mind. And it's in the silence of Saturday that I think Jesus so identifies with us. I mean, even the Apostles' Creed, which is based off uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, says it this way, that Jesus descended into hell, or some translations say that he descended into death. In other words, friends, that there was no, nowhere he was not willing to go for us. That if Jesus is willing to descend into death itself, there is nowhere that you and I won't find Jesus. So in the silence of Saturday, Jesus can show up, and Jesus will show up. I think it's interesting because we love to look at the miracle of the virgin birth, right? And we celebrate that every Christmas. But I think, I think the fact that, that Saturday happened is a miracle in itself. The reality that God was buried in a tomb, that Jesus gains victory over death, not by showing that he's invincible to it, right? But Jesus gains victory over death by submitting to death itself. That, my friends, is maybe a greater miracle. It's what Paul gets at in Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight, when he says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he empties himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you can find Jesus in the grave, if you can find Jesus descending into death, I think it begs the question, where won't you find him? And this should really encourage our hearts that no matter where we find ourselves right now, that Jesus is able and capable and more than willing to show up in the middle of our mess. There's nowhere you won't find him. In fact, I would just offer you this, that if Jesus is willing to descend into death itself, if Jesus is willing to go into the grave himself, then I believe this, friends, that Jesus can go right through into the depths of our hearts and he can meet us in the midst of our biggest fear, anxiety, panic, stress, worry. Jesus can meet us in the silence and the darkness of our Saturdays. And not only can he meet us, I am more than convinced that he does meet us in the midst of that. And while we may be experiencing the silence of Saturday right now in our lives and in our nations, this is where I take hope. Sunday's coming, right? Like we have the advantage of looking back to the end of the story. We know that Jesus doesn't stay buried, but that he rises again. And like all over our community and our world, Easter will be celebrated. And that's what brings us hope that this isn't our home anyway, that we're not just citizens of this country, that we are citizens of heaven if we belong to Jesus. And for anyone who's believed the gospel and repented of their sin, we realize this, that we can patiently wait for the victory of Sunday. Paul would describe kind of our status before coming to Christ this way. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We weren't sick. We didn't just have a sin issue, okay? 
In other words, we were buried in our sins. We could do nothing for ourselves. But the fact that we have this Saturday story gives us great hope. Because Jesus doesn't stay dead and buried in the tomb. No, he comes out of the grave so that as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us made us alive in Christ. And it's by grace you've been saved. And though we were buried and dead in our sins, God has made us alive. And that's good news. That's the gospel. And there's nothing in, that, in light of that reality, this side of eternity, that can touch us. Like, we have to come to that belief and that realization. And, and like, that's easy to say, right? Like, I could say that on a stage in a church in an empty room and say, hey, there's nothing on this side of eternity that can touch us. But it's one thing to believe in in my head. It's another thing for, to allow my heart to catch up with that reality. And that's where I need God's help. Because of a global pandemic, uh, I'll be honest, as transparent as I can be, some of the things that I was holding tightest to, job, health, finances, sports, right? I'm watching the Knicks get beat in 1995 by Reggie Miller on TV because there's nothing else. Maybe the only person watching that. But all those things that I was holding tightest to, God has graciously allowed those to go through my hands. I was never really in control of those things anyway, but I'm realizing that they made lousy saviors. That even the greatest friendships and the greatest relationships pale in comparison to the sufficiency and the beauty of Christ. It seems that I am losing grip of all the things I was holding tightest to. And as I thought about that statement, I thought back to that very first sermon I got to preach in the Mark series. I don't know if you remember this, but it was when Jesus was calling his disciples on the beach. And I want to read you Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20. It says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that's Peter, right? And Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting them into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately... They let go, they left their nets, and they followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, and they hired their servants and followed him. They had let go of everything to follow Jesus. And it's amazing, right? Like it's this moment that they had let go of everything to follow Jesus. And I think what Jesus began to show me as I kind of studied this text and I thought about the things that I've had to let go. I've had to let go of what I thought the kingdom was going to look like. Right? And they had to do that too. They had to let go of what they thought the kingdom of God was going to look like. And when Jesus died, all seemed lost. All seemed hopeless. When Jesus was in the tomb, but what Jesus was showing them on the silence of Saturday was this, that the kingdom of God was going to be better than they could ever imagine. It wasn't going to be Jesus on the throne leading the world. No, it was going to be Jesus on the throne of heaven 
offering the world an opportunity to come to faith in him. And Jesus shows us the same thing this morning. I've had to let go of a lot of what I thought my kingdom was going to look like. I really have the past month. At any moment, I realize this, that anything I built my security on outside of Jesus comes crumbling down. But man, as I let go of those things, this is what I realize. As I let go of the things that I thought brought me the most comfort, safety, and security, there is someone who has not let go of me, and his name is Jesus, and he is alive, and he is well and he is holding fast to those who belong to him. It's what John would say in John chapter 6 when he said that anyone who belongs to Jesus cannot be snatched out of the Father's hand. And, and as I realize that he is holding on to me, he invites me as I let go of everything else to hold fast to him. And that nothing is wasted with God. And that brings me hope. And my prayer for you as you are in your living room, parents trying to figure out how to explain this to your children. Older people who are, are worried about getting this disease and losing everything. People who are worried or, or maybe have lost your jobs. My hope is that the fact that Saturday is not where the story ends brings you hope. And the reality that Jesus is holding fast to you brings you hope this morning. My hope is that when you reflect on the very truth that Jesus was buried, you wouldn't move too fast through this season. Hey, I get it, right? We all want this to end. I want to see my friends. I want to be in a church full of people celebrating the risen Savior. I want this disease to go away, and I pray for that. But I also know this from reading Scripture. Nothing's wasted with God. And God can do more in a moment than we could do in a lifetime. It was interesting. I was watching... I think some YouTube video the other day, and, and it was a teacher in the year 2040 teaching her kids about history, and they do a chapter on 2019, and then they flip to 2021, and a kid raises their hand and says, well, what about 2020? <laughs> and the teacher says, we don't talk about 2020, right? <laughs> and I think we can feel that way. But man, if we believe the gospel is true, and we believe that nothing is wasted from, with God, then we can know that 2020 is exactly what he has for us. Exactly a season where we realize how much he's pursuing us, how much he loves us, how much he allows graciously us to let go of all the things we're holding so tightly to so that we can hold fast to him and make him famous in the world. That's why Saturday is important. I pray that you would continue to let go of your kingdom. And that you will realize that the kingdom of God is different than you thought it would be. And that you will allow the one who died and was buried and rose again to hold fast to you. Friends, this is the darkest moment in the gospel story. The darkest moment. But Mark's, Mark's account simply highlights that. But listen to this. Don't miss this. Darkness is not total in this moment. It's not complete. There's still a glimmer of hope. There's still light. There's still people like Mary Magdalene and Joseph who are still pursuing Jesus in the middle of this. And there's still light today. I um, went to my mailbox, which seems to be something exciting to do these days because you never know what you're going to get. And I received a letter from one of our 11th grade students here at River Tree. As a youth pastor, I feel like I should be writing them. But they wrote me. 
And it was encouraging, though. And man, it thrilled my heart. It brought light in the darkness to me. That same 11th grader is making masks on her own. No one asked her to. No one told her to. She figured out how to do it, and she's trying to provide those masks for people. That's light in the darkness. And I wonder if an 11th grade girl at River Tree can do that. What can we do? Maybe it's just praying for people more than we were before because we have a little margin, right? Maybe it's writing a handwritten note to someone we haven't talked to in a long time. Maybe it's picking up the phone and FaceTiming someone and just sharing good news with them. I know it feels dark right now, but know this, know this. Because of Easter, the darkness is not total. So get ready to pray for you. I want to read Romans 8, 31 through 39, and then we'll pray together. I pray that this truth of Scripture would just resonate in your hearts and your homes today. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who's indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, here it is, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. So, Father, as we um, are connected because of your spirit and connected because of technology this morning, I, I feel like today can feel a lot like Saturday. For some of us, it's silence. For some of us, it's panic. For some of us, it's fear. For some of us, it's just stress, not knowing what tomorrow holds. But Lord, as the old songwriter wrote, because you live, we can face tomorrow. And Lord, the very truth that you were buried, that you would descend into death itself, helps us know that you are descending into our hearts right now. Lord, you didn't gain victory over death by showing that you were invincible to it. You gained victory over death by just showing your greatness over it. And Lord, I pray right now, God, as we worship you, God, that you would transform our hearts and our lives. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.